Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at a raft of growth companies listed here in London. We're going to be doing some quick fire questions with our guest today, Charles Archer. We're going to be looking about six or seven different equities. We're going to be looking at the key influences moving shares and what could be happening with these stocks in the very near future future. So as I said, we're very kindly joined by Charles Archer, a freelance journalist, also writes for the UK Investor Magazine. So Charles, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Ah, Wonderful to be here, Jonathan. How are you today? Yes, very, very well. Thank you. Very well. Moving into the the end of February, it's certainly an interesting picture out there in equity markets. I mean, just sort of looking at what's been happening, not so much in in the UK, I must point out. It's very much been a story of overseas equities, particularly in the last week. We've had the S&P 500 hitting record highs. We've had the Japanese Nikkei hitting record highs, and, and I believe also the stock 600. FTSE 100 has been fairly flat, you know, really showing that defensive nature uh, that it has. But what we're going to be focusing on today is the smaller mid-cap end of the market. But before we we get into the stocks, Charles, it's always good to get your perspective on what you see as the key issues out there, opportunities, maybe threats from a from a macro situation or looking at the the UK we've got the budget coming up next okay, week yeah. from from where you're sitting what have you got your eye on at the moment well it's also always fiscal and monetary isn't it so we can start with fiscal um, which is obviously going to be the budget you're looking at potentially an employee national insurance cut potentially something to stimulate the housing market 1% mortgages is a complete disaster but you know well, 99% mortgages aren't they on this this side of the world Complete disaster, um, potentially a vaping tax, but essentially what um, the IFS and what the markets are telling you is that the government can't really do much about tax at the moment. Taxes at its highest uh, since World War II, but they can't reduce taxes without the markets freaking out like they did with Liz Truss, and they can't increase taxes without um, people refusing to work more. So there's not really much is going to change there over, you know, over the next couple of years or so. Um, and then monetary interest rates, um, still at 5.25%. I suspect they'll stay around there for the next few months still, and then hopefully start to get cut in the second half of the year. But obviously, you have that risk of um, inflation being embedded. These all these big pay rises people have been getting, uh, issues in the Red Sea. There might be another black swan. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it remains to be fairly... Um, I'm trying to think of the word. It, it remains more optimistic, definitely, than it was in 2023. Um, but now you've, I think what's possibly happened is you've replaced negativity with uncertainty and markets <laughs> hate uncertainty almost as much as negativity. However, I, I'm looking to like brighter futures ahead. And I think in particular, um, in the junior resource sector, we're looking at mining. A lot of companies are starting to show signs of life where previously they were, they were kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, dying a very slow death by a thousand cuts. I think 2024 is going to be pretty good for that sector. What do you reckon? Yes, I mean, just just looking at what's been happening out there in the market so far this year, it was very difficult, and it would be very difficult for the beginning of twenty twenty four to be much worse 
than the end of, of 2023. Yeah. But saying that, yeah, the factors that you've outlined there, particularly from the monetary policy side of things, I think that is something that's really been at the at the forefront of what we've seen in particularly the small cap end of the market, the A yeah. market. It has, it has been a real detractor from fresh funds coming in. It is a market that's dominated by private individuals, especially for the day-to-day liquidity. And as interest rates were increasing and, and eventually plateauing last year, that really did suck out a lot of money from the market. Of course, people were worried about paying their mortgages. And that that's first and um, foremost for, for for most for for most people, and you know, if you're sort of looking at the dynamics of the market, that fresh capital that was coming in from the private individuals re- really dried up. But if we start to look forward to to this year, I, I think even though we haven't had an interest rate cut yet, we have had, I feel, probably the last interest rate increase, which just gives yes. people a little bit of confidence that we're past the worst and that does a hell of a lot for sentiment and that has played through into this area of the market so like yourself Charles I'm very positive going forwards uh, of course at the beginning of each year there, there's a bout of positivity but I think it's more than that this year I think we're past the worst we're not completely out of the woods but it's onwards from upwards down here there's some very good valuations yes. out there and you know as we're seeing if UK domestic private individuals and funds are not taking up those opportunities and not seeing the value there, slowly but surely, we're seeing US private equity coming yeah, in and buying up those yeah. companies. If you're looking at, at Curry's recently, a bidding war with JD.com involved, one of the biggest retail companies in the world, sees value, value in, in Curry's where the UK domestic market just doesn't. So I think that will that risk premium that's built into UK equities will unwind un- over time. And yeah. that, uh, that's a real opportunity. Well, I mean, you, we had um, well, Hotel Chocobar that was bought out by Mars and people thought that was kind of, you know, not a very valuable company. And clearly the brand was valuable to Mars. There was a big logistics firm that was bought out by US private equity as well. Um, Morrison's got bought out a, year, a couple of years ago. It didn't do, hasn't done particularly well for Clayton DeVillier and Rice. But the other UK supermarkets could be targets too. In retail in particular, there seems to be that private equity sees value. So it will be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but who knows? It's a great, I mean, the problem is there's hundreds of companies. So will you pick the one that's you know going to get bought out? No. Is the continued um, <laughs> offers by private equity uh, going to see valuations increase? Because suddenly people realize, actually, just on fundamentals, these companies are quite cheap. Uh, possibly. But, you know, UK companies have been cheap for a very long time now, even though the valuation gap is wider than it's ever been, at least for the past of the 30 or 40 years. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. We will. We will see. And I don't think we have seen the last of the, the takeovers coming no, in not from at all. UK. I mean, one of the things that they do that is important to look at is, is not so much the valuation on an earnings basis, but it's looking at the enterprise value to EBITDA. And that's yeah. one of the metrics that if you look at all the companies that have been taken out, first of all, they have quite deep moats and consumer facing as well. But those particular valuation metrics, look at the enterprise value to EBITDA, they're all very, very cheap. And there are many, many more companies that are trading at similar 
valuations. So unless we see a real uptick in the UK markets, I would expect more takeovers to come. Mm. And as you said, picking individual names is a very difficult job. No, uh, I do. mean, <laughs> I mean if, if I'll throw this name out there, though. Sainsbury's, I would say, if you're looking at a retailer that could possibly get bought out or Card Factory, both of those two. But, you know, again, you're just kind of picking names out of a hat, obviously, given how many there are. Do you, do you want to call them, Jonathan? Is there any one that you want to just, you know, your gamble, if you were going to say? Yeah, so there is. If I, if I was going to have a gamble, and I, there is a big constraint to this, but the business model of WH Smith, mm. I think, is attractive because, yes, it's, it's UK-focused, but it does have that US uh, exposure yeah, but the valuation is it, it's fair at the moment, so I don't think there is that opportunity for somebody to sweep in. But I think it is a company that, if you see the share price drift over the next year or two, certainly I think that's going to be on on uh, a couple of people's radars going forward. Yeah. So that that's one that I'd have an eye on. I'll throw another one in the ITV. That's one that I thought would get bought out in the past couple of years. Hasn't happened yet, though. So, you know, and the share price is kind of like not looking great. But then that's why I think it's an opportunity. But there, again, you know, these are all kind of mid cap opportunities. We're going to talk about small caps today, aren't we? ITV is an interesting one because, you know, it's really two businesses. And I think where a lot of the value is and the interest is the studios business. Mm. And, and that's something that you may see somebody come in for at, uh, at some point in time. Uh, but of course, you know, it, it's having that a catalog of of content there which is king the advertising side of the business you know and then tv and the streaming isn't that attractive with the competition out there no. but certainly no. the the studios business is is very interesting but we're going to move on now charles but as you said we're going to be focusing on a number of uh of small caps and we're going to be doing quick fire rounds here because there are one two three four five six seven eight companies that we're going to be okay let's go let's go okay touching on uh today so we're going to start off with premier african minerals charles it's one that you covered for us and you cover widely uh for other publications it's been an ongoing saga over the last six months there was a very bizarre rns that was put out yesterday they're they're up against it with the production targets what do you think is going to happen from here well i mean i was I would say I was pretty confident that we that uh, Premier African Minerals were going to deliver in November uh, of last year, and that didn't happen. So I'm a lot more cautious now about you know these uh, production timelines. Uh, it's quite interesting because they were originally meant to deliver in sort of March, April last year, and that didn't happen. But I thought that wouldn't happen. There's always delays with these uh, sector companies, especially when you're starting up a plant. But November, I thought, was nailed on, and it didn't. Now we're looking at this, and I said... Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I said, well, I think it's likely that they will deliver in Q1, kind of like end of March time. Um, but the uh, CEO, George Roach, says, you know, we're going to um, start production in uh, February. And so we're, when we're as we're recording this, it's kind of mid-afternoon on the 27th of February. Um, and so you've got a couple of days left to get that. So the, the plant is producing RNS out. And as you say, yesterday there was a kind of uh, a, a uh, RNS that literally told you nothing, which is essentially uh, the plant is running, but there's a few minor issues. Which, which uh, to my mind, I mean, there's a few uh, reasons, some some nefarious, some not, why you might want to put an RNS like that out. But um, personally, I, th- I, I think it, it just ups the stakes and just makes it a a more entertaining story. 
and and uh, you know, and regardless of what anybody else says, I think I think you now have the situation where the plant has to start producing over the next couple of days, and there needs to be a production of a saleable amount of spodumene at a reasonable grade in March. I think you have to have that because if you don't have that, especially given the financial constraints the company is under, you're going to see a significant amount of investor confidence lost. On the other hand, given how high volume the stock is, if it does start producing over the next couple of days and you do get a technical grade of spodumene or at least you know a decent grade um, coming out of the plant in March and being able to be sold, that opens up significant financial optionality and you might find that the share price rises quite sharply. So it is a very binary play, but then it's always been one of the highest risk, highest reward stocks on the market. Um, my perspective is that they will produce and sell in next month. Uh, but if there are further delays, then you're going to have a very attractive entry point, assuming you can take on the risk and your heart can you know, stand it. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's definitely yeah. not one for the for for, for the faint-hearted. I mean, no. as you mentioned there, re, you know, real financial constraints at that at this point in time. Mm. It's you know, it, yeah. it's as you said, it's it's a binary outcome for for companies like this. Very high risk, very high reward. Mm. But you know, as time rumbles on, investor confidence around that the company is is being hit, yes. and that's very difficult to get back. I um, think you know, I think it's it's you don't want it to be a trading company, right, where people just jump in and jump out. That as a long term investor, that's not what you want. And therefore, I think for me personally, anyway, March is a hard deadline. If you don't have production and sales, and you know at least production in March, then that's the point at which I personally will have had enough. Um, but having said that, that is the deadline. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I mean, it does mean if you do start production, then you do have, you know, again, um, financial optionality starts to open up. Getting hold of bank loans, for example, become much easier because you have a producing asset that you can loan against, for example. Um, and then on top of that, if you feel you need to call an EGM and issue more shares, you'll probably be doing it from a higher share price point and so on and so forth. But again, I mean, there's no point going too much into detail about it because you're either going to meet that deadline in the next couple of days or you're not. And therefore, um, it's a binary play. And you just, you know, put your faith in George Roach if you wish. Yes, yes, certainly promises fireworks over there the next couple of days. So moving on now, the next stock is Avacta, mm. Charles. Now, this is one, just looking at the chart here, roughly, roughly half of where it was at its highs. Is this just a case of investors getting a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of the process that these types of companies have to get through mm. to achieve a commercial business model? Well, there's, there's there's a few things to unpack there. The first is that they're um, obviously they they reported those uh, phase one A results and they were you know scientifically very good. But the company is going to need more money in order to deliver phase two and to get ABA 6000, which is the flagship based on the precision platform, um, to commercialization. Now, the issue, obviously, that will take um, probably a couple of years from now, potentially, maybe maybe shorter, depending on like the FDA and like special allowances. But you're talking, say, 30 to 40 million pounds to get to commercialization, I would say, which they don't have. Uh, can they get a... And this, this, this is the key thing, right? Because... 
right now, given the share price action, one of two things are happening. The first is that potentially they're putting together a share placing at a deep discount to what the share price was. Um, if you can get kind of 60p at this at, at this point in time, you'd be kind of lucky, I would say. I know that's not something that factor investors want to hear. Um, on the other hand, it could be that the radio silence from management is that they're putting together a deal with a major pharma player, in which case they are under a period of silence and they're not allowed to say what they're negotiating. Um, I think the placing at this point in time is more likely. I know that's not, again, I, I, I wish it weren't true and I wish given that they've talked about having financial optionality before, um, it shouldn't be happening and definitely not the way it has happened. But at the same time, this is a company, it hasn't engaged in proper marketing. It hasn't um, taken too much care of the finances like it should, in my opinion, uh, especially for a company its size. And it's going to get punished for it should it place shares. But there, there's uh, very little retail investor can do if you're still holding down here because the choices are either sell uh, possibly for a significant loss or hold and wait and even if there is a placing if the uh, flagship works which and it is looking very promising of early days you're going to see a significant return um but you know placings are never fun i think this radio silence is unnerving a lot of investors what do you think if it is going to be a placing it's it's a difficult environment out there at mm. the moment but i think this this is one of the the companies that you have to look at that are doing tremendous work oh, and wish them every every success there is a process that i alluded to at the beginning when we started to discuss avacta that these companies need to to, to go through in still very early it's stages very early stage yeah and you know it's one of those companies and, and they and investors see the great work that they're doing but it is one that people have to be in if they believe in the company for the long term mm. and to some extent the day-to-day week-to-week month-to-month gyrations in the share price you shouldn't really be paying attention to those you know these are the types of companies that if you believe in what they have is going to be successful that you put away in an ISA or a SIP and you forget about and and come and see in five years time whether they've made it or not you know yeah. you can't trade on the announcements because they're going to be very positive announcements and the shares are going to be marked up before the market or it's going to be a very negative announcement and it's going to be marked down before the market opens. So you can't react to them. You have to be confident in the company and take the long-term view. So whether it's trading at 70p now and they do a placing at 60p, that should be of no consequence to a long-term investor mm. that believes in the company because if they are successful, which we, which we hope they are, this the sky's the limit. So what they do this week, next week, or in six months' time shouldn't be what investors are paying attention to. It's where they are in five years' time. And that's the, the type of time scales you've got to be looking at for these companies. Yeah, well, I'll so, tell you, you know, again it's a Yeah, sorry. sorry I, yeah, no, I just I just you know, to give you some hope out there if you're an actor shareholder, uh Telix Pharmaceuticals, who I, I covered uh, a few years ago. They were trading for kind of like, um, well, I bought shares in like the uh, pandemic dip for under one Australian dollar. And they're currently trading for 12 Australian dollars, so sort of four years later. And they're in the same, it is not the same, but they're in oncology. And um, they have patented radio pharmaceuticals that merge radioactive isotopes with molecules designed to target cancer cells. And essentially, they get rid of tumors with less damage to healthy tissue, which is similar to what Avacta is trying to achieve. 
So that stock is up 1,525% over the past sort of four or five years. Avacta could do similar. So, so yes, you might struggle if there's a placing and it might feel very awful, but it is a binary play regardless because should AVA 6000 work, then you're going to see a significant return in the long run regardless. Um, however painful this process is. And if you're lucky, they've just put together a deal with a major. But I think that's the less likely uh, option at present. Yeah, and I think one of the things that the investors should bear in mind with companies like this and a number of the companies that we're going to discuss today is that these are early stage companies. Early stage companies need capital to grow. So it's inevitable that a selection of the companies that we're discussing are going to have to raise capital at at some point. You know, for them to achieve their goals, it's unrealistic to think that they're not going to go through any funding rounds mm. and dilute existing shareholders. You know, it's well, I would, just uh, yeah, listen, I, I, how I, I, these companies yeah. achieve their goals. I, I would always say to anybody thinking about investing in a small cap where you know that they're not going to have like um, revenue and profitability straight away, you need to be prepared to invest in each funding round to maintain your percentage of the shares in issue. And if you don't want to do that, you just need to accept that you're going to get diluted over time, which is fine. But if you, for example, you, a new biotech starts out or a new um, mining company or whatever else, you know there will be dilution at some point. And you're hoping that the share price and market capitalization will increase sufficiently that it doesn't damage your investment. But often things don't go in a straight line upwards. So if you believe in the investment case, then you just need to have a little bit of faith. But yeah, again, such exactly. is life. Speaking of IPOs, I think. Te- yeah, sorry, go for it. You're the host. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you're 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 right um, there, Charles. The next one on the list is indeed Tech Capital. Had a storming year so far this year. Just looking here, up a hundred percent in terms of the share price since the beginning of the year. Of course, they had the successful Microsoft IPO, which was off to a. Uh, a real stormer, very strong performance. Mm. I think it listed at, at, at 43 pence. It was trading at, at £1.20 uh, a week or two ago. So it's a very strong returns there. Big voter confidence from the markets did they in under- the underlying technology. Did they underprice it? Did they underprice it? Sorry, say that again? They must have underpriced the IPO to get that kind of... Yes. I mean, to, to see you around... Couldn't they? <laughs> I mean, to see a, a reaction like that in, in the market, especially in the current environment for early stage companies, first of all, listing and then obviously looking at um, the, the the capital raising side of things, it, it, it was somewhat underpriced, I'd, I'd say. But it's, it's a difficult market and you yeah. just you just don't. Uh, you don't know, you know, you, you have to go, these companies have to go with what they think is, is best at the time. Um, they obviously successfully raised the, the the capital and, of course, as I said, very strong investor demand. You know, mm. that followed through into into tech capital, which interestingly, you know, just looking at the valuations of the companies, you know, tech is trading at a massive discount to yeah. net asset value. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it's there, there's a couple of brokers' notes out recently, uh, which which suggests, you know, fifty to a hundred percent upside from here if they're to meet the net asset values of the companies. You know, of course, there's going to be gyrations in the underlying values of those companies, but to be discounting them down here, given that tech capital has said 
very recently that they see multi-million dollar revenues for each mm. of the portfolio companies. They really do move from and have moved in, in recent years from early stage concept companies, the ones that are gaining significant traction. I mean, in the case of Bellascura, for example, I know Tech Capital have a 7% stake in that company now. Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking at about $85 million. I was reading an R and an RNS um, over the next 10 years in terms of, of revenue. You know, that that's pretty substantial. So th- I think the model's been proved there. And I think a lot of what's at play here and it's not just for tech capital but probably for a number of companies we're going to discuss today it's the macro picture it's it's the situation that we spoke about at the beginning Mm. of the podcast it's higher interest rates it's it's sapping the valuations you know it's not just investment companies listed on aim such as tech capital you're seeing it in FTSE 250 investment trusts which have in excess of a billion pounds in assets under management, you know, it is a cyclical situation that we're seeing at the moment, I feel, with the, the valuation, not just for tech, but for, for some of the peers out there, which if if what I said at the beginning of the podcast comes to pass in terms of that risk premium being alleviated as, as we move towards rate cuts, that does bode well. Indeed. Indeed, it does. I, yeah, so, there's, not, there's not much more to say with tech. I mean, it has the portfolio company that's trading at a huge discount. Eventually, that valuation gap will close and the share price will rise. That's generally the investment thesis. Yeah. So I mean, if, if, if you go back and look through the last 20 years, we've had peaks and troughs. In the early stage, the knowledge intensive area of the market, which aren't generating significant revenues yet, they do come under pressure when when things get tight from a monetary policy perspective and and tend to do very well when when it eases. And I think we've gone through the tightening cycle and we're coming to to the easing phase. So if history is anything to go by, it should should support tech share price and and see that gap to the net asset value uh, decrease over time. So moving on now, Charles, this is one that I know that you've got your eye on at the moment. It's Acuity RM. Mm. What do you like about them in particular? So this is uh, one of these kind of like smaller companies that are under the radar. I think they've got like a five million pound market cap. Their share price is at 4p, which is um, uh, down about 17, 18% this year. So, you know, as a value investor, I'm looking at this and going, this is looks like good value to me. So they have an asset um, called Stream Risk Management. So they, they essentially they offer um, risk management software to uh, companies, but also to uh, to uh, government departments, uh, which they have, they have a couple of contracts there. Now it, it's not going to um, uh, it's not going to make you a millionaire overnight. But uh, looking at their um, uh, year-end update, uh, revenues for Acuity, this is in the nine months uh, from April 2023 to December 2023, were £1.4 million, um, which, which is not bad at all for a, you know, a £5 million market cap company. I mean, we were talking about um, just fundamental uh, <laughs> gaps between you know, what, what a company is valued at based on their revenue, for example, and what their market capitalization is. And there seems to be one of these here. Um, sales orders were up by 44% to 1.6 million in the same uh, period. Further contracted revenue uh, was 2.9 million pounds. Uh, they won a 561 grand contract. Um, and uh, the basic thing for me, the, base, the basic investment case, other than you know, it's a very good profit margin on the company, 
is that once you're in a government department with some kind of software service, in this case, again, risk management, it tends to snowball over time. And when I'm looking for like a new tech company, that's kind of that's kind of what I want to see. So I don't know whether, you know, it's going to be one of those ones that, you know, make you a millionaire or like fall by the wayside. But it's one that I'm definitely keeping an eye on at the moment, just purely based on the numbers that they're putting out. Those numbers are very supportive of growth going forward. Winning those contracts is a big validation of the underlying business model. And, well, you know, yeah, I mean, well, we, we had um, the stream software they on uh, 25th of January, so just over a month ago. Uh, they won its first contract with a North American state organization. So not only in the UK, they're also going into the US. Um, and it's probably, you know, again, this is just my opinion, but once you prove that it works, it'll be the first of many to come. And so you, you, having that kind of credibility, both in the UK and the US, will be will be really interesting. But again, growth company. So, you know, don't throw your entire <laughs> entire net worth at it, but it might be one of those. Um, and again, it's quite a liquid, so not that many people are buying shares, but it is one of those companies where I would say just buy a few shares, tuck them away for a rainy day, wait five years. You might be pleasantly surprised. Indeed, certainly an interesting story to, to keep an eye on. So we're going to move on now, Charles, and we're going to look mm. at Golden Metal Resources. Again, another stock that's had a tremendous start to 2024, looking here up about 70% or so. So what's happening there? Well, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did a kind of a big, long article on Golden Metal and investing strategy a week or two ago because I looked at it and I was going, okay, this is going to go even higher. There's multiple factors going on. The first is that their flagship Pilot Mountain is the largest undeveloped tungsten deposit in the United States. Um, the United States doesn't have any tungsten production at the moment, and there's a good chance that China is going to ban the export of tungsten soon. Uh, the company has applied for some US government grants. It could vary in size from a few million to potentially more, potentially 10 million plus to drill and develop Pilot Mountain. Its current mineral resource estimate is already, again, the largest tungsten deposit in the US, but beyond that, you could probably see that upgraded significantly if you drill more. Uh, they also have a few kind of side assets, um, Garfield, which is a, a potential copper deposit, copper porphyry uh, deposit, and then Golconda and Kibbe Basin, which um, Golconda for gold and Kibbe for lithium. So it's a multi-asset exploratory company, but, but the key point is that the grant funding uh, applications would have started around June, July last year. Um, and grant funding, everyone in mining loves a bit of grant funding. But you're probably going to see news flow on that relatively soon. So I think a lot of the um, share price increases, optimism that they're going to get a significant government grant as this kind of like critical minerals become politically important. Uh, but again, it's, this is one of these companies um, where the CEO, uh, Oliver Friesen, I own. Having spoken to him, I'm very positive on it because he seems to have a very good head on a very strong set of shoulders. Um, so, yeah, again, one to watch, and I, I think will rise further in 2024. Yes, certainly to have, has a, a strong asset base there, which, of course, is the most important thing for any early stage exploration company. So, again, mm. one that we're going to be watching with interest over the rest of the year. Moving on now, we're going to be discussing another, well, I he hesitate to say early stage. Oh, mid-stage. Mid <laughs> yeah, 
mid mid stage, um, early early to to, to mid stage. I'm sure I'm sure some investors would like them to be a little bit further along than they are at the moment. But it's Greatland Gold, yes, huge huge gold assets, one of the biggest discoveries of recent years. But some would argue, Charles, that the share price doesn't accurately. Reflect that. What would your view? Okay. Be? Well, well, there's, there's two. There. Okay. So really briefly, because you know we're trying to keep these quick fire. Um, uh, previously, Greatland Gold had a joint venture which owns thirty percent of the Javieron uh, deposit, which is uh, just had a mineral resource estimate uh, update to eight point four million ounces of gold equivalent. So like a decent sized deposit. Used to previous was in a joint venture with Newcrest. Uh, mining Newcrest then merged with uh, Newmont uh, to become, you know, essentially supersized Newmont. Newmont, which owns seventy percent of Harrieron, to Greenland's thirty percent, um, has decided that it wants to divest of those assets because they didn't view them to be tier one assets. Uh, I think that's a mistake, but they've decided that's the way they want to go, and therefore um, Harrieron and then the uh, processing plant where the gold to be mined from it would uh, be processed Telfer is going to go on sale. So you now have this situation where um, there's quite a bit of uncertainty in the market over what um, is going to happen next. I mean, I did an article on it when I looked at um, some of the potential options. Uh, you could find that Greatland Gold decides to buy out the rest of its asset and then Telfer using some combination of equity, debt and you know bank financing. You might find another major like Rio Tinto steps in. Um, buys Newmont's uh, position out and then goes on like a big exploratory joint venture. It's already exploring some tenure with Greatland Gold and also other, you know, smaller companies in the region of uh, Paston. Um, you might find that somebody comes along and buys out Newmont and then offers Greatland Gold a premium. It, you might you might find that um, that you know it's kind of kind of kind of, kind of a disaster could possibly happen and somebody comes in and buys Telfer but not any of Javier. You don't know. This is the problem. I think it's most likely, given the board names that you have at that company, um, uh, having Andrew Forrest and Wiley involved, having uh, people from Northern Star um, and from Fortescue, uh, previous executives of those companies involved, I think the most likely scenario is that Greatland is going to buy out Javieron um, and Telfer. But the question is how they're going to do it and what kind of deal they're going to get. And, and until, you know, the market doesn't know. The, the only thing you can know is that CEO Sean Day will have um, known that this will, was coming or at least definitely prepared for it. So now it's just a case of wait and see. But I do think that the current share price, it might, it's probably is it under like 7p at the moment, I would guess, uh, is I think... 7p, yes. Well, 7p, dead. I mean, I think that's that's very good value. And I think if, if it goes anywhere under 6p, I think you've got great value for a long-term investor. Um, but again, I am aware that, you know, if you've been in there for a very long time, you bought, um, uh, say, at any point in the past sort of three, three years or so, it's kind of been drifting slowly downwards. But eventually, you know, this is this is uh, pretty standard in mining. Eventually, the gold will get dug out of the ground and you'll get rewarded. Um, and if there's any kind of sentimental sentiment weakness, now would be the time to strike. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that that's 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 Greatland. It's been an investor favourite for for good reason. I'm sure it will continue Indeed. to be well, an investor favourite. Eight point four million. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's a huge, huge deposit there. Well, and they're still it's drilling. Just, 
they're still drilling, you know? So it, it, it doesn't mean, like, it could even go higher. But um, such is life, such is life. Who knows what will happen Such is... Such is life. So we're going to move on now. The last company we're going to discuss is a company that's actually presenting at our event at the London Stock Exchange, which is coming up on the 13th of March. There's four companies presenting and HVivo is one of those companies. But there's been quite a lot happening there recently, Charles, which I think is worth mentioning. So you, you actually did a very comprehensive overview of the investment case for HVivo earlier on this year, looking at their numbers from a revenue perspective and and, uh, EBITDA, really, really robust, you know, very strong year last year. It's been reflected in the in the share price. So, what what's your view on the company going forward now? I, I I mean, the thing is, for me, it's very simple, which is that it is a very, very, very strong growth company. You have this human uh, human challenge cl- uh, clinical trials uh, with a very strong economic moat. It's very difficult to break into that seg- segment, um, and it's growing and growing and growing. And they've got they're partnered with uh, multiple majors. The, uh, and the revenue is growing, the profit is growing. They had clients pay for their brand new uh, swanky lab rather than pay for it themselves. And and you have the situation where um, at some point very soon, it's either going to be bought out by a major or most likely I would say some kind. We were talking about private equity earlier. Private equity will come in and buy it because they just see the margins, they see the profitability. You, um, CEO Mo Khan, uh, in the uh, recent results, in 2023, he said it demonstrated strong financial and operational performance, delivering record-breaking results across all key parameters. But this is the core thing. He said the infectious disease market has witnessed increased interest from both commercial and non-profit entities, as well as a notable uptick in M&A activity, so merger and acquisitions. I think it's pretty likely that it's just going to get bought out in 2024. I don't see it staying as an um, independent company. Having said that, if you look at the share price at the moment, we are looking at, um, well, 26.5p. It's up 28% over the past five years, up 335% over... Sorry, I apologise, I misspoke. 27% over the past year, 335% over the past five years. Um, and, And I guess you're paying for the quality. I guess is what I would say. So you know, it's got a high profit to equity, um, price to equity ratio. I'm losing my mind now as we come to the end. Um, but it is it's one of those companies where I think that it, it's 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 just going to get bought out. I I just don't see any way that it stays um, independent for much longer. So yeah, I mean that's that's the bottom line for that one. I think again, not advice, just my opinion. Yeah, so I mean, ju- ju- just looking at the, the revenue guidance for the coming year, after recording 56 million in 2023, they're looking at 62 million for the coming year. They've just yeah. moved to a new facility, They're going to be moving into a new facility in um, Canary Wharf. They're making all of the right sounds. The, the numbers are there. And, you, you know, know the, they, the, value- they, so the special dividend of 3 million for last year as well, you know, like. How many companies in this market have three million pounds of spare cash to hand back to investors? Not many. Yes. You know, so yeah. so that that should possibly tell you something about the investment case. But <laughs> I, I exactly think, I think there's there's a number of mining companies and biotechs who would bite your left hand off for three million pounds in cash, <laughs> and they definitely wouldn't give it back to investors anytime soon. So 
yeah, I, H Vivo is uh, is is we've always been one of my top stocks, and um, I, I think yeah, sadly it's going to leave the index, but then possibly that's something that will be necessary for it to grow to its full potential over time. Yes, I mean it's certainly a real success story. It, yeah. you know, it is a company that that has has grown over the years. It, it's it's carved itself out a real place in the market that it operates in. You know, it's it's a real case study, I think, for, com- for companies that are coming to London for what they should do to generate shareholder value. You know, look at the share price, what they've done. Look at the numbers that back it up. A really, really positive story there. Looking forward to hearing more from H Vivo. So just as I mentioned before we started discussing the company, we are actually holding at the London Stock Exchange on the 13th of March, a uh, UK investor magazine investor conference. There's I think, still tickets still available. So what we're going to do is in the notes to this podcast, we'll put a link through to that. So people can join us virtually if they're not able to make it in to London. And of course, there's availability still i believe to come and join us uh, on the 13th so do check out the notes to this podcast we're also going to be at the master investor show and um, we, we've got to stand there that's going to be on the 9th of march so do come and say hello if you're going to be there charles are you going to be joining us on the 9th of march in london uh yeah i reckon so i reckon it'll be fun for a day drop the computer and come chat to everybody I think you need to see people face to face, don't you? Yeah. Yes, I mean, especially um, now that you we have the opportunity to, you know, for for all those years. And I know these big events were what were put off and and, and cancelled, but certainly looking at the attendances from recent years, it's really picking up. So, so looking forward to both of those events. As I said, do check out the notes to this podcast for for links to get yourself signed up to those. So, Charles. Thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, Wonderful. Lovely to chat to you, Jonathan. Let's uh, speak in person in a uh, couple of weeks. Very much looking forward to that. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast. And we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.